teaching this morning on a very familiar portion of Scripture, so nothing new uh, today, but just felt led to go in this direction, and uh, just believe with it being the beginning of the year, um, you know, we're starting out that, uh, you know, just looking at ways to better my life, and what does it really mean to be uh, walking with God and having the Spirit of God working in my life, and, and I think this is very uh, important for all of us just to always go back and take a look at what the Word of God says in regard to the fruit of the Spirit. So today I'm going to speak on the topic, fruit of the Spirit. I had two uh, slides for the back, and Brother Andrew picked it out, so if it makes you hungry, that is his fault. I had a very plain one, and uh, but I let him, uh, Brother Andrew Heil, uh, picked it out for us today. But uh, reading Galatians chapter 5, beginning at the 16th verse, reading through the 23rd verse, the Word of God says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful, God, to be in your presence again. Lord, to have the opportunity to dive into your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd anoint, Lord, God, my lips, anoint every ear to hear, God. I pray, Lord, that your word would find good ground in us today. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. So every new year, people all over the world make what? Resolutions, right? And they make the resolutions for the next year. And so it, there's a lot of funny things that go on around the Internet come January 1, making fun of everyone's resolutions. And, and so maybe on January 1st, there's one that said something to the effect, well, at least everyone read Genesis 1-1 today. And if you made a resolution to read your Bible, I can probably guarantee you a quarter of your uh, Bible reading plan may be completed today, just to give you fair warning. I do have a lot of scripture, but you're welcome in advance for getting your, uh, if you've fallen behind, you may catch up today. Uh, maybe you made a resolution, I believe the number one resolution this year was to be a better person. Um, it's kind of vague, they tell you that when you make goals, there should you should be able to observe them and they should have uh, you know, you should be able to be able to plan in order to, to make that goal. So being a better person, what does that really mean to you? You know, maybe it's you would like to, uh, you know, give more in tithing or you want to be a better person that you're more happy, you're positive, you're not negative, or uh, you want to read more maybe this year. Um, maybe you want to get more sleep. Um, those of you that don't have children, you can make that resolution and you are in control of that. But if you have a child, obviously, you do not make those uh, your child has to make that resolution for you in order if you'd like to get more sleep. Or in our case, a child and a 70-pound dog who, even though it can be two degrees outside, would still like to go out. I shouldn't have put her coat on a week and a half ago. I should have taken it off immediately, but 
She's got a coat on right now, so she feels pretty comfortable going outside. You can make fun of me. I am one of those dog parents. Uh, but you may want to exercise more. I think that's one of my resolutions is to exercise more and lose weight, uh, maybe to eat more healthy. And so with these resolutions in mind, of course, we're going to talk about the fruit of the spirit because what's healthy? Fruits and vegetables, right? Those are things they always say you should be eating more of and less of all the other things. And so um, maybe I'll try doing that this week. We'll see. Week one is already down the drain. Maybe week two will start off in better. But I guess that's up to me. And we'll see how that works later today. Uh, why is Paul talking about the lust of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, the law and the fruit of the Spirit? Paul is writing to the church in Galatia to encourage them to remain in the gospel. So he had preached to them. They had received uh, the Spirit, and they, they believed that Jesus was the Christ. And uh, they took and believed on the gospel that Paul was teaching. And so the previous chapters, he speaks about... Um, and so he's telling them to remain in the, in the gospel. And what had been happening as we look is that Paul is writing to them because they have, yes, believed and they've had a change, but then after that they have gone back to looking at the Old Testament law. And they were judging one another by what happened in the Old Testament and what the law said. And they were looking, are you circumcised? Are you not? Are you doing all the things that the law had said? Even though Paul had come and told them that, hey, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law, and there are, there's a, a new wave of mercy uh, over your life. In, 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 but what they were doing is, okay, they took some of it, but then they were going back to the old ways of what, where they were. And so they were kind of mixing the two. And so the previous chapters, he speaks about Abraham's sons and the gospels that they represent. And we look, and it says that two covenants or two mountains um, came out of uh, Abraham, and first was Ishmael. And Ishmael was the son of a bond, a bond woman or a slave or a servant named Hagar. And we find that in the Old Testament, and I'm sure most of you are very familiar with that. But he was born according to the flesh. It was not God's promise, but he was born according to the flesh. And there he, it is represented, Ishmael, in the covenant at Mount Sinai where God gave the law uh, to Moses. And so they, they kind of, uh, he's telling them that Ishmael is represented the current Jerusalem which was in bondage. And he said, you are following the gospel of Ishmael, and you are still bound by the law, and you have no freedom. And you are not forgiven necessarily of your sins, but they're pushed back. And you're looking at everything in the law, and you're not living a life of liberty. And you're judging one another, and you're going back and just being like the Pharisees and looking at every little thing that everyone is doing, and you're not living in the newness, in the freedom of which Jesus Christ represented and offered uh, to us. And the other covenant would be that of Isaac. And we know that Isaac was the son of Sarah, and he was a son of promise. Sarah could not bear children. They were old in age. And what? God promised that they would have a son, and they called him or named him Isaac. He was born out of a promise, and Isaac represents freedom. And he also represents the new Jerusalem, which is free and above, because at this time, Jerusalem as a physical place, was in bondage. They were not free people, and so they were living in that bondage and not looking to the new Jerusalem, which we know is heaven, right? That is the new Jerusalem that we will all see someday, and they were not living in that promise. And we see this in Galatians 4, 25 through 26 and verse 28. For this 
Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Aren't you thankful that you're a child of promise today? That there is a hope for a tomorrow. There is a hope for today. I'm thankful for that. Oftentimes we think about the future, that all oh, the good things are going to come when Jesus Christ comes back. But I'm thankful that I can live in the promises of Jesus Christ today, that I can live in a life of liberty, that I can live in freedom and have peace and have joy in my life because Jesus Christ lives within me today. And if you're not living in those promises, but you have received his spirit, I believe you're not fulfilling the will of God for you in your life. If you cannot live an overcoming life, if you cannot have a, po a positive outlook on your life, if you do not have love and joy and peace and the things that we're going to talk about today, I do not think that we are fulfilling the word and the promise of God, but we're fulfilling the lusts of our own flesh because our flesh wants to be down. Our flesh wants to doubt. Our flesh is weak. And so when we're not fulfilling or living in the promises of Jesus Christ, we're not living to our full potential and we're living outside of his promise. And I want to live within his promise today. Amen. In chapter five of Galatians, Paul encourages uh, the people of Galatia, to be free and live in that freedom, to live in liberty, not to fulfill the flesh, but to live in love. And he encourages them to love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes back to, to that uh, golden rule or that rule, you should love God, but also love your neighbor as yourself. And he tells them, do not use the law to judge one another, but love one another, have grace and have mercy with to, toward one another, Galatians 5.15. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. If you bite and you're backbiting and you're talking about somebody else, don't be, don't, don't be surprised when it happens to you. You know, we always say, well, you can dish it, but you can't take it. I dish it a lot, but I, I think I'm pretty good at taking it, especially at work. I work, so very unique in my job and the profession that I'm in to have probably 75% of our work, of, of my department, is males, which is very unique. And when people come back that had worked in my area, they're saying, man, it's such a shift and change. Uh, my wife saw it firsthand the other day, came up. She goes, this is crazy up here, and she just wasn't too sure about it. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's, a, it's, it's a little unique. But one thing we do is we, we jab at each other all the time, but we know each one can take it. And so I'm not, I, I'm not surprised that if I've dealt it to someone that, hey, later that day or later that week, that it's going to come back to me, and I just have to laugh it off because it is what it is. But just, and that is in a joking way, but even in, if you're not, and we are tearing down one another, don't be surprised if it happens to you. You reap what you sow. And so that's what Paul is, is talking and telling them. If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by someone else. And then he encourages them to walk in the Spirit. He says, okay, you're doing all of these things in the flesh, and you're, you're fulfilling the lusts of the flesh in what we read in our opening Scripture. You're doing all of these things, but now I want to encourage you to walk in the Spirit. And oftentimes, we even today encourage one another to walk into spirit, in the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. And so I believe we often to determine that walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, by an experience in the Spirit. We say, oh yeah, if you've come to church and, and you've had the touch of God and, and you've spoken tongues, and, and, and then you've had an experience and you're walking in the Spirit. If every day in your prayer time 
You pray in the Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit. And I, that's not what Paul is writing in this. He is saying, no, what you need to do is in your daily life and how you interact with one another determines if you are walking or are led by the Spirit of God. We must remain focused on what God actually requires of us to remain in the Spirit. And so if someone is using this, oftentimes we say, oh, if someone's used in a supernatural way, they have, uh, oh, that special gifting, and, and the Spirit is all over them, and they are following after the Spirit. Or, or oftentimes, uh, I used to get into this, and a lot at Bible school is, well, God spoke to me. Every time you get up and preach, well, God spoke to me this word, and it is for you. I just have to tell you, I'm not that spiritual. I don't have a telephone in which God calls me up and says, you're going to preach this, open up the Bible, it's already marked for you, you speak this word. But it amazes me when people get up over and over, God spoke to me this exact word. I'm like, I wish I had that. I, I really wish that I had that telephone that you have in your house that you talk to God. It, it, but we do those things so that to give ourselves a feeling that, yeah, we're in the spirit because God is just, you know, these supernatural things are following me. People get healed every time I'm in a church service. People get the Holy Ghost every time I'm in the church service, so I must be walking in the Spirit. No, God's just pouring, out of his, pouring his Spirit out because he's gracious and merciful, and he loves us. It's not about me. Those supernatural things don't happen because of me. They happen because of who he is and because people have a hunger for him, and that's why those things happen. But he, so we look at what are the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-11 through 11 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Right? Without, you must declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God is Lord over your life in order for the Spirit to come and dwell within you. That's the very first step, or second step. Really, first we need to repent of our sins, but we have to have an understanding that he is God, that he is ruler, that he has all control. If you cannot relinquish that, you'll never be able to be filled with the Spirit. So we must always recognize that Jesus is Lord of our lives and give him the authority to rule over us. And when we relinquish that authority, that opens up our hearts so that he can move in and his Spirit lives within, within us. In verse 4, there are diversities of gifts... But the same Spirit, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Aren't you thankful that the manifestation of the Spirit, that the Holy Ghost can live within anyone and everyone? Aren't you thankful for that? It's not just for a few, but whosoever will and whoever wants to cry out and, and give their life to Jesus Christ, the Spirit can live within you. I am so thankful for that. But I'm also thankful that, that there's a diversity of gifts in which Jesus Christ, the Spirit, works through us and in us. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, in verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So all these giftings, yeah, you may be used in certain one of these giftings, and maybe multiples, or maybe one of these giftings. But he says he gives it individually 
as He wills. So as God wills it in our lives, in your life, in my life, in your life, in your life, if God wills it, you will have that diversity or you will have those giftings in the Spirit. But Paul clearly is making a declaration in his letter that he's not talking about giftings of the Spirit, but he's talking about fruits of the Spirit. And so if you have the Spirit, these things must follow after in your life. So he's making a differentiation here. He is telling these people that it's not sufficient to have an experience in or with the Spirit of God and to then just return to judging by the law. He is calling them to something higher and greater, and he is calling them to love and serve not only themselves and those ones that are close to them, but everyone around them. He is calling them to a Christian life, a Christian walk in which we all should aspire to. Why use fruit? Why does he use fruit as an analogy here, stating that there are fruit of the Spirit? I'm sure many of you know this, but vegetables are just part of a plant. When you eat vegetables, they're just a part of the plant. It's not the whole plant. They don't have seeds. It's just, you know, you eat the you eat it, it's done, it's gone, that's it. Nothing else. There's no seed in the vegetable. But fruit contains seeds. That's why tomatoes are fruit. And peppers, they're fruits. They're not vegetables. Uh, they're good for you, but they're not vegetables. They're fruit. And so the seeds are the part of the whole. The fruit is the whole thing. Yes, it falls from a tree, but if a fruit falls, it can bring forth more trees. I do not believe it is by accident that Paul uses this term because our fruit that we have in our life, the fruit of the Spirit, should contain a seed. And that seed will be planted in people around us, in the ground around us, and that fruit will bring forth more fruit, will bring forth uh, life to someone else if we are using if we have the fruit of the Spirit and using it in the proper manner, the fruit will plant a seed that can be grown to produce more. And I want to be, I want my fruit to allow somebody else to experience the love of God. I want my fruit, the way I live my life, to allow somebody to, to have hope that their life can also be transformed. Producing fruit, unlike gifts of the Spirit, must all be evident in our lives. So unlike the gifts... There, there's not a gift of love. There's not a gift of joy. Well, that, that's your gift. You're just so happy all the time. No, that's not a gifting. That's just a fruit of the Spirit, and you should have it too. We like to say that they're, oh, that, that's a gifting because if I don't have it and I'm not doing it, it just makes me feel better. That, well, well, you're just blessed in that area. You're blessed at being kind to everyone. I just don't have that in me. Well, if it's not in you, then is the Spirit of God in you? I'm not saying that it's not. But I'm posing the question. I, I don't, I'm not the judge of that. So that's between you and God. And so, uh, again, unlike gifts, a fruit must all be evident in our lives. This fruit is how someone can determine that there is something different about you. They will want to know while, why you are different. So you can say, yeah, you go to a spirit-filled church. We like to say that. Oh, you, I go to a spirit-filled church. You don't, you know. Well, what type of church? Well, my church is spirit-filled. Okay, well, what's that mean? They're like, okay, what does that mean? And so to them, it might mean that, uh, okay, you speak in those weird tongues. And you're in a spirit. That's, that's how we determine we are a spirit-filled church. We run the aisles. There's people rolling on the floor. We are spirit-filled. No one else is, but we are spirit-filled. But if your life doesn't represent what the fruit of the Spirit are, are you spirit-filled? 
we have spirit experiences. We have experiences in the spirit with the spirit of God when we come into this house on Sundays and on Wednesdays. We have awesome experiences, and the Spirit of God moves in and manifests Himself here amongst us, and we can feel that Spirit moving. But when we are Spirit-led, if we are a Spirit-led church, and if we are a Spirit-filled church, then the fruits of the Spirit must be evident 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If those things are not evident, we are not Spirit-filled or Spirit-led. We are just Spirit-experienced. I'm experienced in dealing with the Spirit. I'm experienced in being in the presence of the Spirit of God. But if I am not living my life wholly and fully in the Spirit, I will not demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. But if I am demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, then the Spirit of God literally is living within me and leading me each and every day. Because we cannot, in and of our own power, in our own will, demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit without the Spirit of God living within us. Because we are human. Because we get down and we doubt people. And sometimes hatred rolls up in our lives, but we have to put that away. And we have to say, because I have a conviction, because I have the Spirit of God living within me, I can suppress those things and I can cast those things down so that the love of God can live in and through me. So what are the fruits of the Spirit and what does the Word of God, and in most instances, what does Jesus say about the fruits of the Spirit. <clears throat> so the first fruit of the Spirit is the fruit love. Don't you like love? Man, you are one month and about a week away from Valentine's Day. You are on notice, the day filled with love. I'm sorry to my wife, but I will most likely be out of town for that, but... I'll make it up to her, hopefully. But love, we all like love. We like to love one another. We like to feel loved, to feel cherished. There's nothing better when I tell my daughter. I do it all the time. I always say, hey, I love you because I just want to hear her say it back. I love you too. I love that. I'm saying love a lot. I truly enjoy it. It makes my day. I can be in a different room. I can be downstairs and she'd be upstairs and I'll just yell up to her, hey, I love you. I love you too. It's just her response. And that just melts my heart because we all have that need, that desire for love. Um, so what, does Je- what did Jesus say about love? Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 45, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Matthew 19, 19, honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I was going to read all of 1 Corinthians 13 and we will not because time does not allow us, but that is Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Every wedding you go to, you hear that, right, portion of Scripture. And uh, so it's real easy to love people that love you back. Anybody does it. And Jesus actually even says, what good is it to you that you love people that love you? What, what, what does it profit? What, what is the value of that? Anybody can do that. 
Anybody that's even full of hate, if someone loves them, or ha they probably have at least one person that they love, and it's easy for them to love that, okay? But if they can start loving everyone else, you're like, oh, man, you really are changed. Your life is completely different. So Jesus calls us to a love that, yeah, we don't really have unconditional love. It's really hard for us, but sometimes we're called to that. That no matter how many times you hurt me, no matter how many times you have let me down, there is a measure of love that I have for you. Jesus doesn't say be taken advantage of and be abused and used, but he says there, you should have a love for them or at least for their soul, right? And, but I think also sometimes we use that to, to have anger towards somebody. Well, I love their soul. I just wish they weren't such a terrible person and they weren't lousy. I wish they didn't make me so angry and I hated them so much. But I do love their soul. I, I love their soul. I pray for their soul. But God, if you would please just put them in their place, that would be great. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, love them because I loved you. Love them even though they despitefully use you. Love them even though they do things that hurt you. Still love them and show my love so that they can see that there is a difference in your life, and that's my spirit living within you. The next fruit is joy. John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus talking, that in me you may, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer or have joy. I have overcome the world. You know what? Life happens. Life happens to us, and we can get down in, in the dumps. But you know what? There should be an ounce of joy in your life and say, through all this trial and circumstance, I'm going to find joy in you, in who you are, God. And I'm going to show that to those around me. I bet there are plenty of people in this place that have gone through trials and tribulations that you have no idea about. But what? They keep coming in and they have joy and they put a smile on their face and they're being of good cheer because they know Jesus Christ is taking care of it. And that's the way we should go into work every single day, go into school, wherever we are at when we're with our family. We should portray that there is joy because of who Jesus is. I'm not looking at my circumstance, but I know who he is and where he's going to take me and where he's going to carry me. Peace, John 14, 27. Jesus saying, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Some of you, you may not have known that that's not a Sean Hannity saying, let not your heart be troubled. That's actually about from the word of God. You listen to his radio show. He always says, let not your heart be troubled, right? No, it's, it's the word of God says, let not your heart be troubled. So, hey, you learned something new maybe today. But we should have peace. We live in trying times, in very divided times. And in, in, in there's all, it feels like a constant struggle at times. But we should not be sowers of anger and sowers of divisiveness and dividedness. But we should be sowers of peace. We should try to bring people together. We should have the countenance. We should be trying to mediate and trying to say, hey, I know things are not the way you like them, and they're not the way that you like them, but I know that there is a peace giver. I know somebody that can give you peace in your life today, and that is Jesus Christ. I know in my life, yeah, there's things that are troubling me, but I have a peace and that passes all understanding because Jesus Christ is in my life and he has given me promises for my life. We should be sowers of peace. We should not be sowers of discord, but we should bring peace to situations and we should walk in peace and in newness of life. Aren't you thankful that you have the peace of God? 
Amen. I had trouble sleeping several years ago in my heart. I had nothing specific. It was just like everything was mounting up against me or, or just I was worried about things happening in the world. And there was no way to get around it, I thought. There's just nothing. And what I started doing is listening to preaching every single night before I go to bed. So I got hooked on, on uh, listening to different churches uh, from around the country and just letting the word of God go forth. And it brought peace in my life. And my life was so much better. I was able to, to get sleep every night. I wasn't awake all night long because there was so much strife and struggle in the spirit. But I found peace because in the word is peace. And I'm thankful for that. Long suffering or patience. This is the hardest one, right? I'm not a very patient person. I like instant gratification. I went to the eye doctor on Wednesday, and I wanted to get a pair of glasses. My eye doctor didn't have ones that specifically spoke to me, and I tried a bunch on. I was emailing to my wife, look at these. What do you think? What do you think? And they're telling me, well, we have a rep coming in for the brand you like on the 17th. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I might just, make, I just might settle because I don't have the patience to wait. Then I had to take my daughter on Friday for her eye exam for kindergarten, believe it or not. She's going to go to kindergarten this coming year, and uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but it's going to happen. And so we were there, and I was looking at them again. I knew I didn't necessarily like them, and I'm asking her, hey, do you like these? Do you like that? Five minutes of that, she's like, I want to go. I want to go. I don't want to be here. So patience is not a big thing. I like instant gratification, and that's like all of us, right? We like instant gratification. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 states that love suffers long. So if you have love in your life, then you should uh, also take that love in long-suffering, and that should be a part of your life. Luke 21, verses 16 through 19, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost by your patience possess your souls." Being patient, learning to wait on the Lord is a very difficult thing. But if we have the Spirit of God in our lives, in working and manifesting itself in our lives, we will be patient and learn to wait on the Lord and learn to suffer long sometimes in our tribulations and when things are going on around about us and our struggles, sometimes we just have to be comfortable saying, God, I am going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. Yeah, we sing that song. Yeah, we're going to wait on him. We're, you know, we want him to move and his spirit to move. And, and we're really good at waiting for that. But not a lot of times are we good at waiting for our miracle or waiting for him to come through in a really big way when we're struggling and when we're down. And so in that, if we have the spirit of God and that is working in our lives, we will learn to trust him more and have patience in his will and his perfect will. And he will lead us uh, through that trial and through those struggles if we would just wait on him patiently and anticipate what his promises are and what he's spoken to us and look for that and live with that promise every single day. Kindness, Ephesians 4, 32 through 33. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We must be kind. We should be very kind people. People, when they see us, they should be like, man, you're always smiling. You're so friendly. You're, you're always happy. You're, you're so kind. You, you can be friends with anyone. It doesn't matter. You know, that person in the office that no one else likes and they're rude, man, you're still nice to them. 
you know, they've said bad things about you, but you don't really say anything bad about them. That should be us. People should recognize that in us. Recognize that difference that we are kind people. Goodness. Matthew 25 or 12, verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. If evil comes out of you, if you do things that are bad and wrong and hurt people, that's what's in your heart. But if good things come out of you and, and positivity and, and good actions come out of your life, then that means there's good in your heart and people will see that. We should be good. We should be good people. You know, we say that, oh, they're good people. They're good people. I hope people can say that about me, saying, yeah, he's good people. I hope people can say that about Apostolic Revival Church. They're good people. You know, none of them. There's not one bad thing in there. They're, they're just good people. They don't have an agenda. There's not an angle. They're just good people. And I think all Christians should be good people. I hate when people say, oh, I left because someone hurt me. And while I was saying, oh, yeah, we're human. No, we just aren't walking in the Spirit. That person at that moment was not living in the Spirit of God. Those people at that moment, if you've hurt someone, don't say, oh, I was having a bad, a bad moment. I had a bad slip. You just weren't. Yeah, you were, but I mean, to be honest, we should say, you know, I just really wasn't walking in the Spirit. That hurts a little more. And say, oh, I just had to mess up. I'm human. But if we look at it through this year saying, I just wasn't in the Spirit. I wasn't being led by the Spirit of God. Man, that hurts a whole lot more. That, that goes deep down to the core. That is, the Spirit of God was not in my life. I wasn't allowing Him to manifest Himself through my actions. Faithfulness, Luke 16, verses 10 through 13. I know I'm a minute over. I'll be done in about two minutes. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant, no one, no servant can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And we're really good about that. We say that a lot. Well, you can't serve God and money. A lot of times we'll say, well, you know, I, I'm not very successful because I love God a whole lot more. Or, you know, I don't have those things because I just really love God. And it's, it's the principle is what do you serve? He's using money in this circumstance because of who he's talking to. But it's anything in our lives. If we devote our time and faithfulness to something other than God, we can't serve that master. We cannot serve two masters. And if we serve God in faithfulness, then we should be faithful in all other things that happen in our lives. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. If you tell someone you're going to do something, do it because that's being faithful. And that's being faithful to your word, which is being faithful to God. We should be faithful in all that we do, whether it's at church, right? We always talk about be faithful to the house of God, be here. Well, be faithful to your job too, because if you're not faithful to your job, you're not being faithful to God, because God blessed you with that job, and you should have the Spirit of God leading you, and you should be a representation of Jesus Christ. So if you have a job, go to work, unless you can't, unless you physically can't. Same with school, 
Same with everything that you devote your time to or say you're going to do. If we're led by the Spirit and have the Spirit of God living within us, we're going to be faithful in all that we do. Be faithful in your marriage, right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's easy. But be faithful in your marriage and everything that you do. Be faithful in all that you do in your life. Be faithful as a parent. Be faithful as a son. Be faithful as a father. Be faithful as a mom, as an aunt, as a brother, as a sister. We must be faithful in all that we do because when we are faithful in our lives as a whole, we are displaying God's faithfulness to us in that showing that, hey, God's been faithful to me. I'm going to be faithful in all that I do, and it's going to point back to who Jesus Christ is because he is faithful. If we're to be a Christian, we should be Christ-like. Gentleness, Matthew 5, 5. This is where I have struggle. I'm not very gentle sometimes. I just tell you what I think. But God wants me to be gentle. Lord, help me this year. Be gentle, a little bit more gentle. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Philippians 4, 4 through 5, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. We must be gentle. Be kind. Don't be so brash and abrasive. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you, doesn't mean you can't give that opinion, but how you give that opinion is very important. Get on Facebook, and I'm mostly friends with one stop, one, one God apostolic believers. I mean, that's my, been my whole life. A lot of, probably 75% of them, people go to church. You go on Facebook, you'd never know it by the things they post. The things that they like, the things that they share. Not very gentle. Very rude. I might agree with the premise or the base, but I might not agree or may, should not agree with how it's portrayed and presented. We must be gentle. We say, well, the other side's not gentle. People that disagree with me aren't gentle. It doesn't matter what they do. God didn't say, do that, be, match what everyone else does. He says, no, be separate. And separation is not, it, separation begins with the inside. Separation first begins in our life and how we act and what we do in our lives. That is the ultimate separation. You can dress different than someone else, but act exactly like them and everything else. And that is not separation. Separation is being separate and how you walk and how you live your life each and every day. And we should be gentle with those around us. And then self-control, this goes together with it. Whoever has, Proverbs 25, 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. If you just let things fly, you have no self-control, can't control yourself, you're going to be overtaken. The enemy's going to come in, and he's going to overtake your life, and you'll be wondering what happened. Why am I here? Why am I at where I'm at? It's because you didn't have self-control. You didn't allow the, the Spirit of God to help you in your life to control your mind, your emotions, and your actions and the words that you speak. So I just want to encourage you this year, show people that you're Spirit-led, that you're Spirit-filled. Not because you talk about it, not because you talked about going to church on Sunday, not because you talked about going to church on Wednesday. Not when people ask you, well, what's so different about your church? Why are you different? I believe that, I believe in Jesus. I do all these things in, in smuggling. We'll say, well, we're spirit-filled. Well, do you believe in Acts chapter 2? Have you had the apostles, disciples and the apostles' experience? Do you know the apostles' doctrine? No, we should be like, they should notice a difference that we're not like everyone else. And say, hey, I want what you have. Why? Why are you so nice? Not why does your church believe this, but why are you? Why, is your, why are you so different than everyone else? I want that to be said of me. 
this year, I want the fruit of the Spirit to show forth who God is so that people can have an experience with God, that people can wonder and, and want what I have, and that's by displaying the fruits of the Spirit. So you're dismissed. In Jesus' name, I went over. I apologize.